Thank you for joining uh, this week's episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, my guest this week is Richard Steinen. Uh, he is a former Gartner analyst, a former chief marketing officer at Fortinet. Uh, he's currently the chief research officer at IT Harvest. And uh, perhaps most importantly, he's also a fellow Detroiter, so he gets automatic bonus points. Uh, so welcome, Richard. Yay. Thank you, Tony. Much appreciated. Um, you know, like you and I were just uh, talking about uh, before we started, uh, you and I go way back. I can't even, I, I don't even know how far back we go. <laughs> Probably 15 years, maybe more. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite a while. But, but, but like we talked about, like uh, the last time I ran into you was uh, uh, like summer of 2000, spring, no, early summer of 2017 in yep, dc uh so that was uh that, that that's uh uh longer usually than than uh, the time frame between when i see you usually because yeah, we usually run was... into each other at rsa or black hat or whatever right and i missed rsa last year in 2018 because i was busy writing this book but i'm going this year to launch the book ah okay well that that that, that explains why i didn't uh, see you Last year. Yeah. All right. So let, so let's go there. Um, uh, the you know one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on uh, the podcast was to talk about the book. Um, so you're 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 going to be launching uh, Secure Cloud Transformation: The CIO's Journey. Uh, and then it's got like a subtitle on there of Strategies and Best Practices for Building the Future. So tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah. You know. Um, it, from an analyst perspective, I was seeing cloud solutions come about that were all um, piecemeal, right? You know, it's, and we tended to try and mimic what we had in the data center and headquarters with, you know, oh, let's have a cloud firewall, um, like Dome 9 that recently got acquired, or, or let's do, um, you know, cloud sim, uh, et cetera. You know, so, you know, take everything we already knew and create a cloud version of it and get all the advantages that you get with cloud products in that, you know, the usually the vendor updates them, adds new features, you know, so they're immediately available to your user. Um, they can be elastic, so they expand and contract depending on demand um, and probably have better security built around access to those types of uh, cloud tools we build. Um, but I started talking to CIOs, um, CISOs, CTOs, and even chief digital officers at these massive companies um, and saw a bigger picture, you know, which people call cloud transformation. It's kind of the, the new thoughts around digital transformation. I don't know if it's an umbrella for digital transformation or falls under digital transformation. Um, but, you know, the concept behind digital transformation is how do we take our old stodgy manufacturing company and turn it into a digital company so we can reach out to customers we can give them data we can let them connect to you know our jet engines that we've got on the airplane so they can read the sensor data you know basically come into the 21st century um, and doing all of that in the cloud is what cloud transformation is all about and I'm, I'm very optimistic because the transformations I see going on are actually done in a more secure way than used to be available because it also takes into account the fact that most of the users are mobile. So, you know, if you just move your huge stack of uh, security appliances 
um, to the cloud along with your data center when you move it to the cloud. Uh, you still haven't done anything about the fact that your users and your customers and your partners are anywhere in the world using any type of device to access all this critical data. So how do you control that? And that led me down the path to understanding uh, what's now called zero trust networking, um, which I learned is different than what I used to think of as zero trust, which used to be end-to-end encryption. Used to, when you control the keys is what I used to think of as zero trust. But Gartner and others have started using the term zero trust networking, uh, which is a simple concept of you don't expose your applications to the internet. It usually means you don't use the IP address for the you know location of the app. You don't send people to an IP address. Um, they're going to various uh, implementations of cloud brokers, and they authenticate to the corporate Active Directory or Okta or Ping or whoever's uh, act, uh, directory system they're using, they authenticate, get their credentials, and then this broker in the middle tells the application, hey, this guy's connecting and he's authenticated and the connection's made. It reminds me of uh, uh, what we used to call phone home. Um, I saw that the first time on the Alieska pipeline where every single pumping station had a modem that would dial, if, if you wanted to check the status of the pumping station, only you no matter who called it, it would only make a connection if it dialed back to a predetermined number. So, you know, like I said, it's whitelisting. Right. Um, and that's what this kind of zero trust networking uh, is to me, is a reenactment of that. And at the end of the day, uh, there's bigger uh, things going on. And of course, I'm always looking at, okay, if, if these, I interviewed 16 companies for this, and if they're all moving this way, you know, I'm starting to think, what does this mean for traditional, IT, you know, data center security appliances, Palo Alto and, and Fortinet and uh, Juniper and Cisco. Um, and most of them, you know, I've talked to them 10 years ago about their cloud solution, which was, hey, we vir basically virtualized our firewall and we can run it on bare metal uh, as a virtual instance. Um, but, you know, you'll lose all the advantage of security appliances, you know, which have all these wonderful accelerator chips in them and, and architectures to do their job at speed. Uh, so, you, you know, but you take advantage of the cloud and you put a hundred of them in parallel and it gets very, very expensive and the licensing is complicated. So I think that model is going to be displaced just like, um, you know, things like alerting and SIM and all that has to be done in the cloud um, and authentication and everything else is moving to the cloud. So, there goes the security stack. So I'm watching that closely. Right. You know, the the network security industry, I track it close to $40 billion now. Um, so, you know, seeing uh, something that, like a lot of my readers will look at my book and they go, well, as usual, the, the geeks will say, Stina, we, we knew all this. Um, and yet, if cloud security is only a, a, you know, a tenth of a percent of the network security industry, there's a lot of people who don't know about it. So and that's that's who the book is for. Okay, that's fair. Um, and you, you, know, you, you brought up the point um, that I think uh, bears drilling into a little bit, which is as companies you know first started kind of jumping on the cloud uh, and, and, and seeing the advantages you could have with the cloud, the kind of like the default reaction from the security side um, 
was was like you said was to kind of go okay well here in my local data center i have a perimeter firewall i've got an intrusion detection i've got an antivirus um i just need a cloud version of that and i think i think we're we're evolving kind of beyond that now we're com- where the security vendors and the customers are starting to look at that uh with a, a a better perspective on what it means to secure the cloud and and come up with solutions that are not only you know native to the cloud but come up with solutions that uh make sense uh, you know yeah. for 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 the way that the data in you know the, the way that applications are served and the way that data is stored in the cloud yep and you actually um you know the first time that IT departments become aware of the cloud is when they find that all their users have, you know, have picked uh, Salesforce or uh, WeWork um, or, you know, uh, NetApp or any for storage or a, uh, a NetSuite for financial. And it's quite often they didn't even go to IT, right? Because there's no servers to be configured or software licenses to be figured out. Somebody just clicked a few things and provided a credit card. So I would say 99% of all organizations are using the cloud in some way and seeing tremendous advantage, right? They, they immediately realize that not maintaining that software and updating it whenever there's an update for a patch uh, is a huge advantage. You know, it might be might seem expensive but when you do the total cost of ownership analysis it's a lot cheaper and you know if you if you're putting everybody's uh jewels in the same bucket at salesforce for instance um and salesforce is a really big company now judging by the size of their headquarters in san francisco um and they're 24 billion in revenue um they are going to invest a lot more in security than any one company can uh, just to prevent your data from somehow being exfiltrated from that that back end. So, and that's, you know, it's just the way it's going. And I'm finding uh, about half the companies I interviewed were most of the way through their transition to Office 365. And of course, big companies like that expect to go to Microsoft and see their operations and be assured of the security. And their reaction when they come back is, their security is much better than we will ever have around our email and office productivity stuff. So uh, we're better off hosting with Microsoft than anything else. Right. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, I've, I've been a, I've been a proponent of uh, office 365 since it came out and I've written a few different articles on like breaking down the math from my perspective and, and, and basically saying, you know, like with, with rare exception, I don't see how it's mathematically feasible for you to just to buy Office the old-fashioned way, when you can get the you, when you can get Office 365, where you're not only getting you know the whole suite, but you're basically getting Microsoft's IT department and yeah. Microsoft's infrastructure, and it's like so you don't you don't have to manage any of that stuff. You're you're letting them do it and saving money at the same time. Yeah, and the thing that was amazing to me was how Microsoft actually extended their infrastructure all the way to uh, the end user if they're a big enough company by encouraging them to switch over to express route so they've got essentially once they're you know to their next hop from their network they're on microsoft's network and that's you know it's uh it's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it microsoft now owns this giant global network just so they can do that yeah 
Um, so you mentioned uh, that you 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 kind of examined and worked with and talked to uh, you know 16 organizations to come up with the the transformation stories in the book. Um, in your research for the book, or just in even in your day to day work, uh, you know, with companies, um, are there common themes that you you've noticed uh, when it comes to cloud transformation transformation? Are there things that like it doesn't really matter if you're a retailer or a healthcare or a finance, like there's just certain things that are kind of pervasive. Yeah, completely. As a matter of fact, it really made for an easy outline for the book because I already mentioned the first stage everybody goes through, which is that using cloud applications. Um, and then the next phase is usually, well, what are we going to do with our other applications that would be better served if they were in the cloud? And so that we've got the three ways of doing that, the so-called lift and shift, where you just move anything that's already been webified, uh, host it in the cloud, and partial refactoring, where you want to put the you know, user-facing side of it in the cloud so your customers and employees can get to it easily from wherever they are and maybe maintain the database back in the data center. And then the final stage, the guys who have kind of a cloud-first strategy um, are actually moving their data center apps to the cloud. So they get all the advantages uh, of the cloud. Once they've done that, they start seeing these network bottlenecks because the most companies have this traditional hub and spoke model that you know we built in the 80s when in 90s when I was first getting into networking. Um, and they they never let go of them because that's the only way to get everybody behind those expensive stacks of perimeter firewalls is to backhaul their traffic via MPLS or maybe a remote uh, VPN from their devices and then filter them through those firewalls. And they're seeing tremendous spikes, especially when they move to Office 365. So despite all the great things you and I just said about Office 365, it's a bandwidth hog. And if you accidentally have people, you know, syncing their laptops to, to Microsoft all at the same time, your network's going to die. Um, so it gets... So, so, and not only that, you're paying for that traffic both directions because they have to come from wherever they are over a VPN into the corporate network <clears throat> and then out through your your circuits to the internet. And you're paying for all that. So that, you know, that final <clears throat> phase of network transformation I'm seeing is, is going to local internet breakout as much as possible. So for every remote office and some of the, People I interviewed have over 150 remote offices around the world, and they just started contracting with their major carriers in each region. Um, you know, Deutsche Telekom in Europe and T-Mobile or AT&T in the U.S. for broadband connections, which is you know what I've got in my house and you probably have in yours. And you know that gives you up to 100 megs of connectivity for you know well, I pay way too much for it, a couple hundred bucks. Uh, but it's still cheaper than a, you know, partial or fractional T1 back to some corporate headquarters. And uh, that's where software-defined networking comes in. Now you don't need this fancy UTM device in your remote office or your store. And if you're in retail or in your doctor's office, if you're in, in uh, medical, um, just let them have some sort of, um, you know, software-defined networking, which is, to me, just a router that knows where you're going and routes your routes your traffic uh, that direction. So either over MPLS, if you still got it, or direct to the Internet. Um, and 
that cost savings is what pays for doing the refactoring of the applications. So you save all this money on uh, reducing or eliminating MPLS circuits and reinvest it in moving your applications to the cloud. All right, very cool. Um, okay, so uh, let's kind of take the, the opposite question from that, which is in doing the research, uh, are there any red flags or caveats that you've seen that are common, like things that, that people should definitely not do for their cloud transformation? Yeah, I asked every single one of the people I interviewed that very question. And um, uh, the most common answer is don't overpromise and don't promise cost savings. Um, and uh, and get into it gradually, not uh, you know all in. Um, though some companies did make a strategic decision early on, like three years ago, that they're going to have cloud first. So every project look at it and determine if it can be done in the cloud, if it can do it in the cloud. Uh, but that's still not jumping whole hog in, right? They're going to they're gonna pick the uh, those projects that will have the best return on investment first and work their way through it. The other uh, primary advice they, they gave was get the uh, entire management on board. So it's the job of whoever it is, the CTO, CIO, chief architect, um, to sell this internally, and they they give some you know pretty good tips about how to do that. And frankly, I hope they can just buy my book and give it to everybody on the executive team and say, "Here, read this, and then you'll know why we're doing it." There was one company, my favorite, I think, is uh, National Oil Well Varco. So I don't know them, but you know, very large company that makes uh, wellhead equipment and you know actual drill heads for the oil and gas industry. And after the um, uh, 2008 financial crisis, um, you know, oil dropped dramatically, and most oil companies and people who service them, you know, fell below profitability. So they had major cutting back to do. So they went to the cloud. They went to Office 365, um, and they made all these moves, and it saved them a lot of money. But they had a the IT department earned a reputation for being the big spenders in the company because all these new features were being offered to everybody. They felt, you know, the employees, the users felt like they had entered the 21st century and were getting all this great new stuff. And they assumed that IT was spending money like mild, where in actuality they had cut their budgets dramatically. Hmm. That's interesting. So people, so so people were simultaneously. Uh, happy that they got these great new features and then probably also a little bit salty about, uh, you know, well, hey, if we're cutting everyone, if we're cutting back and laying people off, why are we, you know, spending all this money on this stuff? Yeah, how come we have video conferencing now? You know, it's right. well, it's, it's just a feature in Office 365. Click here. Yeah. Um, so we already, uh, we, we talked a, a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, the way that, you know, kind of with any major tech trend and uh, security concerns and security technologies uh, are more or less an afterthought. They always they always seem to get addressed in like the second wave. Right. Um, so, you know, cloud's been around for a while. I feel like, like I said, I feel like we're, we're making some progress now um, and in terms of transformation of cloud security. So what are your thoughts on wh where we're at now, the current state of cloud security efforts? I am... Uh, blown away at where we are. I think uh, this is the, you know, my 
my career has followed the network security space, right? From selling checkpoint firewalls in the mid nineties and configuring them and being the installing the first firewalls ever in the automotive industry, um, to, you know, being the firewall magic quadrant guy at, at Gartner, um, to being CMO at Fortinet, you know, so I, so I saw all this trend, you know, and, and frankly, you know, Fortinet was just playing off the model that uh, Bluecoat had had left us with and that we needed this content URL filtering, but we needed to push it out to the uh, remote office as well. And you couldn't put a $50,000 Bluecoat device way out there. So Fortinet came along with a $1,000 device and Palo Alto, exact same model to you know, how do you distribute security appliances far out to take advantage of people going direct to the internet? So cloud security is is just the next evolution of that. And now you don't have equipment. Now, the providers who are building out their data centers, who they kind of look like reverse uh, content delivery networks. Um, they have to invest heavily, just like, you know, uh, Google and Amazon and Microsoft have to invest in server technology to host their their clouds. Um, the security vendors who provide this have to as well. And but you know when they invest money, they're they're uh, spreading it over hundreds, if not thousands, of customers. Uh, so it's better spend of of resources in you know nice secure data centers with great internet connectivity and great peering, so they can connect directly to Microsoft. Uh, from wherever they are in the world, so so I see that that trend is going to help us. You know, and the the one thing that that I haven't seen yet is you know, so all the companies I interviewed were, you know, thousands of employees. Probably the smallest company was Fannie Mae, which is even though they probably uh, impact the most money in the world, uh, you know, trillions of dollars, uh, but they're actually a fairly small U.S. based uh, company. Um, but so that's, you know, big companies. Yeah, they can do all this. But little companies, I'm waiting for the MSSPs to start picking up on this. They either, you know, resell one of the big guys like Zscaler um, or start, you know, um, figuring out how to design and deploy their own zero trust networking, uh, you know, maybe using tempered networks technology uh, to do it. Okay. So, you know, as we record this, uh, RSA is, uh, you know, roughly two weeks away, a little over two weeks. Um, you know, by the time this, uh, by the time I get this edited and published, it'll probably be about a week away. Um, so in going to RSA, what do you think are some of the, the, the themes or trends that you, you expect to see from vendors around cloud security or, or maybe what are some of the, uh, buzzwords to look out for and uh you know and 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 how can people kind of see through the buzzwords to find out like solutions that actually work yeah um i'd keep my eyes open for software defined perimeter and dig into that because that's usually kind of a user perimeter you know an identity-based solution um there's there's kind of a battle being fought you know microsoft is the the big identity vendor of the world because of active directory um, but Okta and Ping and a couple others are out there with, you know, cloud-first strategies. So I'd keep an eye on them. Um, if it says Bitcoin on the booth, run away. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, or blockchain or anything. It's like, yeah, I, 
there's a, a there's a need for blockchain, and that's for you know open ledger financial systems, and that doesn't have a lot to do with providing security solutions. Um, I think the threat intelligence space has exploded, so and that's the hardest probably to figure out. You know, what do you need if you're going to do threat intelligence? Um, and probably a lot of the best solutions are the companies are too small to have booths at RSA, but some of the guys will be hanging around, so find them at the at the bar at the W. Uh, deception vendors have gotten some financing, so I expect some of them to be at RSA. I, we're still. You know, I've got my researcher going through the the uh, expo uh, uh, exhibitors so I can look through who's there that I don't recognize. Um, so I won't have that for another week because there's 450 of them. Um, and uh, the, look for the big money that's floating around. Uh, last year was the biggest uh, uh, venture investments ever in uh, security. So the industry's still growing going to be crazy yeah you know that that is a, it's a, a trend that i saw in the last year was you know instead of your sort of standard mergers and acquisitions it was uh i saw more vc money and i saw more private equity buying up security vendors yep yep yeah private equity started getting into it um about four years ago I actually for a short time thought wow we should be advisors to private equity for m a um, and you know, we, you know, I had like four partners and we did some good deals, um, Trustwave, Singtel and uh, a couple of other ones. Um, but, uh, private equity, you know, views due diligence as a checkbox, right? They've already made their decision based on the financials and, and, uh, they don't care about the product as much. Um, I think VCs are, are finally coming back with a vengeance. There's a whole bunch of second and third generation VC starting up that know the security space. Um, there are a bunch of, of uh, veterans that have been in it for a while who are starting up. So Shinji Wang, um, Tom Kellerman started a VC firm last year before he went to uh, Carbon Black. Um, there's a guy here in Detroit who's been an amazing salesman for his whole career in the security space. And he's talking to me about starting a VC firm. So lots of opportunity. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, that a lot of the, a lot of the players, you know, don't necessarily have a booth and some of even the larger players. Uh, I mean, Qualys has very uh, publicly uh, separated itself from RSA and is hosting its own like side event uh, in town during RSA. Um but but I you know going back uh, you know I used to do work with Barracuda and Barracuda made the decision you know five years ago or so to just to stop investing in the booth space but they're still there yeah, uh, they're, they've got their their bus they got the bus or they you yep. know they they rent out the uh, Samovar uh, tea lounge yep. or whatever and 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 yep. you, you know they're still there doing meetings and the and and the W bar I mean for anyone who's going to the RSA conference who's never been before. That is sort of like the social hub. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people I encounter that I wasn't planning on encountering. Like pe people who I know that I wasn't even didn't even know they were in town or we weren't planning on meeting. But you just walk through the lobby of the W and yep. you just meet people. Yeah, and if you're like me, you know, if as you're running around between meetings, you just walk through the bar, and I do it for sure because that's where everybody eventually ends up. Yeah. Um, 
All right. Well, so, so you're launching the book at RSA, um, and and you're also going to be doing a book signing of uh, secure secure cloud transformation at RSA. Uh, so when and where can people find the book or find the book signing? Uh, what do they need to know? So you can find the book if you get there early in the uh, RSA bookstore. Um, but I, I sent them 20 copies because I find that people don't really buy books at RSA, at least in my experience. Um, and then, uh, but if you want a, you know, a signed copy, um, come to either the bookstore, 3 o'clock on Thursday after my, my talk at RSA, or on the show floor, I'll be in Zscaler's booth, 1055, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday at 11 a.m. And we've got a bunch of hardcover books coming. Very cool. Um, all right. Well, so wrapping up, I, I, I want to you know, like sincerely thank you for joining me. Uh, it was an honor. Um, uh, and before we go, uh, can you let listeners know where they can get in touch with you, where they can follow what you're doing, uh, your website, your social media, like where, where, where should they go? Yeah. Um, probably go to uh, Twitter, um, either Steenon, S T I E N N O N or cyber war. That's the easy one to find. So I'm on it, uh, every single day. Um, and you can message me there or, uh, uh, I try to follow back, uh, anybody that's security related. And of course you can find me on LinkedIn as well. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you again, and uh, I will uh, I'll see you soon in San Francisco. Thanks, Tony. All right. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.